wonderful to be here and uh, to enjoy His presence. Amen? I want to share with you something God put on my heart, and uh, if you can uh, just open up your Bible in Mark chapter 3. The volume seems to be quite loud. I wonder if you could just work on that so people don't get blown out when I get too excited. <laughs> Great to be excited about God, isn't it, eh? We're excited about something, and uh, I love to be excited about the Lord. Now, have a look at Mark chapter 3, and uh, I want to share with you a story out of the Gospels, a message called Withered Hands, Hardened Hearts. And uh, we're going to look in Mark chapter 3. God calls every one of us into relationship. He wants you to enjoy a daily experience, a daily relationship, encountering Him, walking with Him, and representing Him. That's God's design for us, to represent Him. He never had in mind that we would be churchgoers, people who come to meetings. That's a part of our experience with God, but if that's all we're doing, then it's, of course, well below what God wants for us. He wants to enter into our lives and join with us so our lives have effect and impact on people. So our lives extend out the kingdom of God to touch other people. God is into people big time. He loves people. It's a bit that, that we constantly need to be reminded of, that God loves people. And He hasn't got the world, to, we divide the world, they're saved and unsaved. And of course, there is a day when God will separate. But right now, God loves everyone. Potentially every person is a member of God's family. And so God wants to reach out to touch and he touches unsaved people in ways that sometimes surprise church people. And we have to be reminded God is big and generous and good. And he's good to bad people as well. So you've got to get out of that religious thinking. It's only if you're good enough, God will do good things for you. We need to understand God is good and he's good to everyone. And if we can position ourselves right, we can tap in and live in the flow of goodness. You know, David said that. In Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. In other words, you look behind my life, everywhere you see the goodness of God and mercy of God touching lives of people. That, that's God's way. But it's a life flow we've got to live in. And uh, so I want to share a story uh, found in Mark chapter 3. It's in three of the Gospels. And uh, each one tells a little bit more about it. So uh, it's found in Mark 3. It's also found in uh, Matthew 12 and uh, Luke chapter 6. And it's a man with a withered hand. Verse 1, Jesus entered into the synagogue again, and a man was there, and he had a withered hand. And they watched him very closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they could accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save life or kill? But they kept silent. And then when he looked around at them with anger, isn't that amazing? Jesus actually got very angry. Not very many things got him angry. But I don't read he got angry in the New Testament with sinners. He definitely got angry with church people. See, he said, being grieved for the hardness of hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other one. And then the Pharisees, or religious leaders, went out, and immediately they plotted with the Herodians. So you've got the religious people mixing now with the political people, how they might get rid of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? 
These are the people that God has entrusted His Word, entrusted to them to teach and bring revelation of what God is like. And when God moves in ways that they're not agreeing with, all they want to do is destroy it. That's the nature of the religious manner. And so let's go through the story, and I want to bring out a few things. The first thing you notice is this is something that takes place in the synagogue, and there are at least three I can think of situations where Jesus did a miracle in the synagogue. And it pretty well had the same result each time he did it. It caused a great upheaval. It caused huge upheaval. The first one is found in Luke 4, where he heals a man who's tormented by unclean spirits. Second one is this one here of the man with the withered hand. The third one's found in Luke chapter uh, 10, where there's a woman who is crippled and bent over. And I won't develop too much about it, but just, it's interesting that the Bible specifies it was in the church. There were people demonized, people who were restricted, limited, and bound, and deeply weakened by infirmities, and people who were withered and unable to function in life. And each of these miracles represents an aspect of where God's people are suffering, and God wants to shift all of that and bring us back to wholeness. God wants us to be whole people. So this took place in the synagogue. And not only in the synagogue, it took place on the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day was, a, was a, meant to be a day of rest. It was a day of celebrating that God has redeemed us. God has done the work. It's also a prophetic picture that there is a coming rest for the people of God. It's also a prophetic picture that God wants us to rest in Him from the struggles of life. Everyone else is under stress and have to work all the time. God says, I want you to trust me. And the way you demonstrate your trust in me is one day of the week, you rest and enjoy what I provided and relax. That's what it's for. Like the tithe. The tithe was to honor that God is the source. The Sabbath day was made for man for us to rest and enjoy God and enjoy our life, enjoy what we had, not just get busy doing lots of stuff. It's a time to reflect and think. Anyway, but they turned the Sabbath day into something else. It became uh, all about laws and what you could do and what you couldn't do and so on. And there was a man in there who had a hand who was, he had a withered hand. When you're reading Gospel of Luke, it tells us it was the right hand. And in the Bible... So we have a situation here with a man, physically his hand is withered. Literally, what the word withered means literally to be dried up, to have lost all life. So what had happened to the man is he'd had some kind of accident, but the hand had withered in that the, when, the, when, a, when a hand withers up, what happens is all the muscles lose their vitality, and then they begin to contract, and the, and the hand is forced to close up till it becomes like a claw, and often it turns inward. A very embarrassing condition, very limiting condition. So this man had a withered hand. His hand was withered up. It had no life in it. The muscles had all dried up. And the hand is twisted, contorted, can't function properly, and is probably turned in and a source of shame for him. Now, it's interesting that the Bible singles out a man with a withered right hand. The Bible tells us that Jesus did untold miracles but only a few are singled out, and it's usually because God wants to teach us something through it. So first, the question I'd ask then is, is the right hand in the Bible, what does the right hand represent? 
So this miracle here is not just about one person getting a healing in the midst of a service. It's actually a dramatic confrontation. In fact, in this particular situation, Jesus deliberately provokes a confrontation in a church situation to highlight or bring out to the light that religion and laws do not serve men. That God is a God of generosity, of life, and of love who wants to bring life and healing and restoration to people. And so the Bible speaks of the right hand in a number of different ways. I want to list for you some of those things. So as we're thinking about the man with the withered right hand, you might consider that some of the things I'm about to mention might apply to your personal life. So in the Bible, the right hand represents your capacity to work. Most of us are right-handed. We tend to work with our right hand. If you can't work with your right hand, it's very difficult. So your right hand speaks of your capacity to work or to serve. It is very possible for you to be withered in your capacity to work. Wrong attitudes, uh, adverse circumstances in life, But all of us as servants of God are called to advance the kingdom of God. Every believer is called to be diligent to ensure that they're doing good for the kingdom of God. In Titus, I think it is, chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, Be diligent that you maintain good works. In other words, check your life out that you're not just looking after yourself, that you are diligent to overflow to other people in serving them. So all of us are called to serve the house of God, the family of God. As often as you have opportunity, do good, especially to those who are of the household of God. So all of us are called to serve God's people and to serve the people around us. This is the demonstration that we are filled with the love of God, is that we have a heart to serve people. So your right hand speaks of your capacity to serve or to demonstrate in practical ways the love of God to people. Has your capacity to serve become withered by some disappointment, some setback, some upheaval, and now you're no longer passionately serving God? You've withdrawn. You may be having great experiences personally, but experiences with God are to bring us to overflow and be sold in light to the world, to actually express the love of God. Secondly, uh, the right hand is always symbolic in the Bible, or symbolic in the Bible, of your ability to bless. It speaks of the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of power. So in the Old Testament, when they wanted to impart the blessing, they laid the right hand on the person's head. The right hand always was significant. It was a hand to bless. So it was symbolic of power, of blessing. In Mark 14, verse 62, it says, Jesus will come from the right hand of the power of God. So power is always connected with the right hand. The the church of Jesus Christ is called to function in the power of God. But it doesn't just happen. You have to build intimacy with Christ, and you need to press in for miracles to happen in your life. They they just don't happen. There's a contending in prayer and fasting to see God move through your life, the supernatural flowing. It's clear God's desire is every believer build the house, every believer minister the life and the power of God to others. 
It's not a complex thing to do. It's something that comes out of connectedness to God and just understanding how you work with the Holy Spirit. Not very complex. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, Now to every believer is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God wants to give to you empowerment so when you lay hands on someone, something happens. So if that's not happening, maybe that is withered. My observation across the body of Christ is that this area of power ministry, deliverance and healing and the supernatural has withered in churches all over the place. Time to arise again and begin to contend for the miracles of God to be seen because the Bible says God's people will be willing when they see His power. We need to experience the power of God. It changes people's lives. It touches people's hearts. I remember one young man, I was at a meeting in San Jose. I taught, we prayed for some people, sick people were healed, and then we taught on how to pray for the sick and uh, did a sort of a teaching seminar thing on how to pray for the sick. Then I asked everyone sick to stand up. And, and anyway, there were heaps of people stood up everywhere, lots of people sick. And, and then I said, now turn to someone next to you and pray for them, just like we showed you how to pray. And so they all did it, and lots of people were healed. And about a year later, I came back, and the guy came up and he said, you remember that meeting you did last year? I said, yeah. I said, they got saved at that meeting. I said, that's so wonderful. He said, oh, my life was transformed. I said, how was it transformed? And he said, well, he said, I was unsaved in that meeting. And you said to pray for people. And the lady next door to me, had a, she had a, had a walking stick, and she said, pray for me. He said, oh, Okay. And I so I put my hand on her, said, God, heal her. And she was immediately healed, didn't need the walking stick. And he, and he said, she, so he said to the lady, he said, well, you pray for me. I've got a bad back. She said, oh, no, you're a big fella. You pray for yourself. <laughs> so he said, okay, God, heal me. And he was healed in his back. And he said, that was it. I came up. I gave my heart to Christ. Now, you figure out how it is. Someone who's unsaved just took a little stretch of faith, and God worked through them. It just, It's just... It's having that environment and atmosphere where we believe God does miracles, God heals. So, so the third thing is the right hand is also a prophetic picture of our, uh, our ability to fellowship with people or build relational connections with people. In, in Galatians in 2.9 it says, uh, they extended to us the right hand of fellowship. When you meet people, what do you most commonly do, apart from hugging them or something like Bruce would do? Uh, you, what do you do? Like that, extend your hand out, you take hold of their hand, you extend the right hand of friendship. So if you've got a withered right hand, and we try and do that. Now try and do it. Oh man, that's not going to work too well. See? So, so if your right hand is withered, it also represents your capacity to reach out to people has diminished Instead of overflowing and making people welcome in your world, you have withered and withdrawn. You wait for people to come to you. Instead of reaching out, you're withered and withdrawn. What has happened inside you that hurt you so deeply that you became afraid of people and drew back from people and no longer reached out but become withered on the inside emotionally and possibly spiritually? Hurts can do that to us. There's many ways. I'll share a few ways that people become withered. But God has called every one of us 
to receive his love. He pours it out extravagantly. It's about us connecting and receiving that love and then extending it to others. You know, the first thing everyone does when they come into a new situation is read how welcoming people are. The first question in the person's mind is, am I made welcome here? Now, if you are withered in your soul and withered relationally, you won't extend out to that person and they won't feel welcome at all. So here's a question, how welcome are people in your world? How friendly are you to people? When you're there, do people feel welcomed into your world or are you too busy with yourself and you're withered and withdrawn from just loving ordinary people? Huh? Extending and stretching out. Ryden was telling me an amazing testimony this week of how he's got this job and uh, teaching over there in the Polytech and uh, how he's influenced all of his young people there. And all of them have got clean off drugs and now got employment. Man, that's the right hand of God reaching out to bless. It, it, but it's, it's relational. Absolutely relational. It's about seeing the best in people instead of seeing the worst. It's about opening your heart and extending your heart. I will reach out and show kindness to someone. That's what we're called to do. Not be withered inside and waiting for someone to look out for us and critical because they don't. No. Get filled with the love of God and you become an overflow. Start to love on people. Make them welcome. You don't have to be too smart to make people welcome in your world. You do have to smile a bit though. It does make people helpful if you smile. But you know, the Bible talks about joy being withered out of the hearts of men. Uh, a lot of people got no joy. I got a lot of joy, of course. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, here's another, here's a fourth thing that prophetically the right hand speaks of as a picture of, uh, and that is of generosity. In, uh, for example, in uh, Matthew 6, verse 3, it says, When you give to the poor, or when you give financially to bless people in need, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So the right hand is associated with generosity to poor people, to people who have need. So when we get poverty around us, we wither up inside. We're worried about whether we'll provide. We live like orphans instead of being generous to people. You can always give something to someone to help them. And, and, and so when we stop giving, when we stop giving out from ourselves in all kinds of way, everyone's got something they can give. But you've got to, if your hand is withered, you'll never give it. Some of you have enjoyed the, some of the best teaching in the world. You've sat in church. But what are you giving out to anyone? Well, what's coming out? You, don't, you say, well, I don't have much. Listen, I've seen some very rich people who don't give away a cracker. <laughs> I thought you might look good, but your hand is withered because you can't extend and give to people. See, so generosity is the nature of God. God so loved, he gave. And no withered hands in heaven. It's all generosity up there. And God calls to bring heaven to earth. Here's another, here's another one you might be interested in. There's a couple that I thought of just while I was thinking about it again this morning. Your right hand is also a picture of your ability to manage your heart. In Ecclesiastes 10.2 it says, A wise man's heart is at his right hand. So the Bible connects your right hand and your heart. So if your right hand is withered, prophetically it pictures that 
Things have got into your heart that have affected your attitudes to life. Fear will wither you. Grief will wither you. The Bible tells us to guard our heart. You know, criticism will wither you. Critical words wither people. No, I've prayed for people who have been withered by years of critical words. Shrunk inside, and you can't see the real person. They're living with a shell and a pretense, trying to desperately live in a way that will please everyone and stop the criticism coming. See, control, controlling relationships with the people. If you're in a relationship with someone who's controlling you and you end up and you're having to do everything they say, that withers you. It withers your heart. It withers your soul. You can't be who you're called to be. You're trying to live to please someone else. It's an incredible evil. It is a really incredible evil when people control others while pretending to care. It's actually totally selfish, motivated out of fear and self-centeredness and pride. And it doesn't bring anyone forth. It leaves them crushed and withered in their soul. It's a horrendous thing. God is against it. It crushes the life of God out of people. See, bitterness will wither your soul. If you get offended by people and don't resolve it in a biblical way, your soul will be withered. Withered from joy and withered from love. And most people don't know. They don't recognize they're bitter or they're angry or they're fearful. What, they, what you can see though is that they just hold offenses, they build walls, and they won't reach out to people. They guard their life all the time. That is a withered condition. God wants to heal that. God wants to heal His people. So the hand, the right hand, has to do with the heart, with what's going on in your life. Spiritual attacks can wither you. Demonic attacks on you can assault you so much, spiritually you begin to wither. Unbelief will wither you. Stops you reaching and seeing God's hand move in your life. There's a whole number of things. Trauma experiences tend to wither people's soul and leave them locked up and imprisoned, unable to function properly. Think about that. So those are many things. And of course the problem is, see another thing that will wither you is if you do not sustain a living relationship with the Lord. So some things that happen to us wither us, but some things that we just fail to do something we need to do. There are some things you need to do to keep alive in God. And if you neglect them, you'll wither. Jesus said, if, my word, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, he'll ask what you will. But he said, but if you won't abide in me, you'll become withered. See, it's an abiding, staying connected to God, being sensitive to him, uh, letting his words be in our heart, not the offenses and the issues of people in life. 
We've got to make a decision that I'll hold God and his words in my heart. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, sits not in the seat of the scornful, walks not in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. He should be like the tree planted by the rivers of living water that brings forth fruit in his season and his leaf shall not wither. Ever seen a tree with withered leaves? Imagine, though, a tree that never withers. It's always plush. Beautiful. That's God's desire for you. And so some things we fail to do. Sin can cause us to wither. Sin will gradually wither the life of God without you realizing it. And finally, the last thing, of course, is that the right hand is also was well understood. We wouldn't think of it so much today. But if you live, if you've been to India, you would really get this. There's a certain aspect of hygiene, and you use your right hand to feed yourself. The left hand is used for other business, because they don't have toilet paper. They just have water. And so you never, ever eat with your left hand. You always eat with your right hand. You never touch someone with your left hand. You always touch them with your right hand. You touch someone with your left hand, it's like you can get that hand off. I know where it's been. <laughs> See? So in our culture, of course, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean so much. But if you go to India, that's one of the horrors of going to India. You suddenly find toilets aren't quite like I used to at home. <laughs> What's that bowl of water there? <laughs> and where's the toilet paper? There ain't none. Hence your right hand you use for eating. So imagine if your right hand is withered. Now consider the impact of that on your life. You've now only got a one hand. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't want to go there. I want to think about that one. <laughs> but there's a huge. So clearly, someone who is withered, number one, they're drawn back into themselves, and two, there's a deep sense of shame. They're not functioning like they're called to. So, uh, in the church situation, you notice it says in, in, chapter, in chapter 3, verse 2, the Pharisees, or the religious people, watched him closely. Now, that's interesting. They were watching, watching everything. In another place, it says, they were laying in wait like an animal, a beast, like, like a lion, waiting on every word he spoke, not to learn not to grow, not to get inside. All I wanted to do was find a fault. There are some people who live like that. They're watching, they're listening, waiting to find something wrong. I think that's God. That's not God, that's the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. You find yourself accusing people, you find yourself being a mouthpiece for demonic spirits. So, are you a mouth for God or a mouth for the devil? That's an interesting thought, isn't it? So they were waiting. They were very religious people. They claimed to preserve the laws of God. They had a form or an outward form of holiness, but there's no reality and power. It's easy to become like that. And when you become like that, you start to become critical of everyone else. What they're wearing, how their hair's done. They've got studs and they've got tattoos. Away they go. That's what happened. 
when you lose the reality of the life of God, you will then either rebel and go into the world and find something to comfort yourself, or you'll fill yourself with religion, and all you can do is find fault with everyone else. That's what they were doing. And this is what it says. There's very few places in the Bible that says this. Jesus was angry. It's not easy to get Jesus angry. Some people think he's angry at homosexuals and drug addicts and all kinds of people. He's not angry at them. He loves them and wants to help them. But what got him angry was people pretending to be godly but being hypocrites. That No one likes that. It's like it misrepresents God. And that got him really angry. And what he was angry about, and the Bible says, a violent passion. That's what the word means. A violent passion. Hard to think of Jesus being a violent, passionate person. But he was incredibly passionate. He loved people. And he could get angry. But very few things got him angry. They were religious things got him angry. Sinners didn't get him angry. No, religious things got him angry because they misrepresented the Father and they, they stood in opposition directly for God touching and changing lives. And that's what he was angry about because it misrepresented God and it took away the whole deal. You know the, the, these people, they love the Bible, but the Bible, Jesus said, is summed up in this two things. Love the Lord your God passionately and love people. That's it. Now, the Pharisees had reduced everything. You've got to do this and don't do this and there's laws and keep this and keep that and don't do this. As soon as you come under that should do, ought to do, need to do, must do, you're coming under bondage of illegalism. God sets us free so we can choose out of love to live a life that brings honor to ourselves and honor to Him. That's the kind of life you live. It's a life motivated by love. Motivated by revelation. I am loved. I am provided for. I am free. I can be myself. I can love other people because I am loved. Eh? So Jesus got really upset and says he was grieved. He was incredibly sorrowful in his heart on account of this. That coming into church, instead of it being a place of prayer and the presence of God and healing and love, people were treated so badly. That's what upset him. And so he exposes it. He exposes it. He exposes it by doing something really, that really upset them. He did a miracle in the middle of the meeting. I remember getting someone very upset one time. I didn't know I got him upset. It's on my first visit to Singapore. And I got the first church I went to, I got the pastor very, very upset. And I didn't realize I got him so upset. He got very angry with me. He told someone else and eventually it came through to me, like it always does in the end. And uh, anyway, this is what I'd done. This was the serious sin that I'd done. I had moved in the Spirit in words of knowledge and prophesying over people before preaching the Word. <laughs> not to do it that way. That's not how it's done. You preach the Word and then God moves. Pentecostal Pharisee. It doesn't really see Pharisees can be any person, really. And he was upset about that. But actually, God can move anywhere, anyway, anytime he wants. And so Jesus, what Jesus did was he challenged them. And he challenged them over this thing. And I won't go through it all, I just want to, but this is the core thing. He said, you know what? 
He said on a Sabbath day, is it good to do good or do evil? Is it to save life or destroy life? And they won't answer him. Of course they won't answer him because they're about to destroy him. He's trying to flush out what's there. And then he says, you know, on the Sabbath day, you guys would go out and you'd rescue your donkey or ass if it fell into a pit. But a person, you won't help a person. And he said, what you've got to understand is that people are more valuable to God than animals. So you've got all these people who love the whales, but don't mind the abortions. That's weird. That is weird, distorted. It's a demonic spirit behind it to have that kind of priority. We're to care for creation, look after creation, preserve it, but we need to value people. God values you. No matter where you're at and what's happening in your life and how down you might be or what kind of problems you've got, you are valuable. And so in order to provoke this thing out into the open, Jesus got the man to stand up. He said, stand up. You know, one of the first things you've got to do when you need to be free is you've got to make a decision. I'm not going to stay where I am. I won't need to stay with it. Not easy to stand up and stand out from people. Then he said, come over here, stand forth. Or in other words, come over by me because we're, you are going to be part of me flushing out what's going on here. And so then he said to the man, now stretch your hand out. Now, can you imagine the tension in that meeting where he's got the man with the withered hand up? He knows these guys are judging him because of what he's about to do. And he steps up and he says, well, what do you reckon? Is this right to do this or not? And then he does it. <laughs> he just does it. You imagine the, the moment of tension. Every eye is looking like this. No one's ever talked to Pharisees like that. No one's ever telling them like that. And look, here's Jesus. Look what he's doing. He says to the man, stretch out. And everyone's... Now, for that man to stretch out required a creative miracle to restore all of the muscles back. God brought life where there was death. And as he stretched out, the miracle came. We should not focus on how Jesus did this miracle, but pick up what is the key in all these miracles. The love God has for people motivates his desire to do something to help you. But it always requires we believe and stretch out somewhere to do something we couldn't do before. If you've been withered and shut down on the spiritual gifts because of fear, you need to reach out to Jesus again, then stretch out to function again. If you've been withered in your relationships with people, you need to find out what's caused that withering. Resolve it. Is there repentance needed? Is there forgiveness needed? Stretch out for love and grace to flow. You know the grace flows when the faith action takes place. It's when you actually do something in response to Jesus' command. That's when things begin to happen. He said, just come and I'll show you. Just come and just stand there. That's right, just stand there. That's right, just stand right in the middle there. Oops, someone stand quickly behind. Don't come forward. Just stand where you are. All right, then. okay. Now, I'll just show you. I want you to do this in just a moment. I want you just in a moment, just take your hand, hold it near your body, your right hand, hold it near your body. That's right, that's right, your right hand. Yeah, you got it right. Remember? The one you eat with, yes. <laughs> That's the one. Okay, hold it near your body. Okay, now imagine, is there a part of your life that you feel has become withered or you've drawn back? You have to tell me what it is. In just a moment, I'm going to get you to reach your hand out 
And as you reach out, the presence of God will come upon you and you'll start to feel His power and His joy flowing back into your life again. You know what the area is. You don't have to tell me. It's between you and Jesus. It's never about the person praying. It's always about your faith to believe Jesus loves you and will meet with you if you'll respond to Him. Here I'm going to count to three and I want you to slowly stretch your hand out, reaching out to the Lord. As you do it, the power will come. One, two, three. Now just reach your hand out and the power of God is coming to you to touch you right now. Touch, Lord, with your mighty power. There you see, now they stand up. If you just keep reaching out to him, don't worry about anyone around you. If you fall over, someone will catch you. <laughs> he is restoring joy back to you. There it is the joy that you lost because of some things that have happened. Here it comes. There, there it is. Ring it off. Keep stretching out to him. Ha! The joy of the Lord! Hallelujah! Come around the Lord. There we go. So, I wonder how many others today, God wants to fill you with something or heal you or do something. There was someone the Lord showed me, and in this last week, you had a, an encounter with someone, and they really hurt you. The words were like swords cutting into you, and you have shrunk and withered. You haven't got over it. In fact, all this meeting, it's been a trouble for you too. Who's that person that had that happen this last week or 10 days? It's like, there it is. Come on then. Come on over. God wants to help you. I saw it. I felt like it was like a horrendous criticism and, and a violent attack through the words that were spoken. And, and it's kind of, I could see you withering inside, and it's almost like everything that was creative and lovely in you was just withered up just like that. Because it wasn't just the person, it was a spirit coming to shut you down. And God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. Let Him come. Father, in Jesus' name, we break the power of those judgments, those critical words, those abusive words. I come against the spirit of hate and violence and murder and death. I command you, release her now in Jesus' name. Stand as a father and as a pastor, and I bless you in your gifting. I bless you in your ministry and life. I bless you in your relationships. Don't be afraid of the faces of men. Lean into the Lord your God. He wants to strengthen you, encourage you. There is a place, a secret place, free from the stripe of tongues. God says as you draw into Him, He's going to put strength back into you. He'll raise you back up again. And instead of being crushed, you'll go from one degree of glory to another. You'll come to another level. And what the devil wanted to use to destroy you, God says, I will use it as a catalyst to lift you. I have not abandoned you, but I am with you, says the Lord.